to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week, we're talking about multiplayer solitaire. We'll teach Fletcher what that means, and then we'll look at the spectrum of games that fall into this category. Finally, we'll talk about why some people love these kinds of games, me, and others use this term in a more derogatory way. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, our newest friend of the show, and currently live in our audience today on Zoom, which everyone could join and everyone could be friends of the show, except it's a limited supply. So there's only two more spaces available. Speaking of that <laughs> third space, that is The Gift of Games in Grays Lake, Illinois, who now has a website where you can order online at thegiftofgames.com. So you can check them out if you want to help them out. That's my local game store. So you're really just helping out my local game store and keeping them in business. That's just good. Um, Let's see. Yes, I mentioned on Zoom, uh, we record live every Monday night, 8.30, when Kitty reminds me. And <laughs> <laughs> I may have almost forgot about tonight. Um, but if you would like to also be part of the show, just go to tabletopgametalk.com slash live. Uh, basically, all of the stuff that we t- say, any links or anything like that, are always in the show notes. So if you are looking at a podcast, anything, um, look at the notes, you'll see all that stuff. And if you're listening on the web or whatever, then you see it posted on the web. All right. How's life? How's things? How's this is a holiday of some sort. Um, I think it has three names right now, but in the US, it is used to be Columbus Day. I think it's Indigenous Peoples Day right now. Have so today's Columbus Day? I, I, oh, no I think I think it can be either, um, but I think officially, federally, it's still probably Columbus Day, but I think the more um, politically correct term is Indigenous Peoples Day. Sort of almost the opposite. I think it's opposite. both. Yeah, I think it could be Columbus both. Day and Indigenous Peoples Day. <laughs> yeah. So um, there were both sides involved in it. That, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. But um, it does mess with some schedules in the U.S. Like our daycare was closed, but our trash service still ran. So that was confusing. But I did get the trash cans out there just in the nick of time. So all, all is good. <laughs> so how are you guys doing? Good. I'm doing I'm doing good. Yeah. Excellent. That's great podcasting. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, over the weekend. I already... <laughs> go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to talk about Bluey some more. <laughs> okay. Let's not do that. Uh, I smoked two pork bucks over the weekend in my in my smoker. So I had... 16 pounds of pulled pork, and that was uh, fun and tasty. All I know is I smoked could have gone so many different directions. So (laughs) (laughs) In my world, my mind went straight to pork butts, so I'm (laughs) glad I'm on the same page there. (laughs) We are in a lot of worlds, a lot of worlds. Yeah, uh mm uh-huh, yeah. Now, I don't recall anything. Like, this weekend was a blur. Um, Yeah, Becca's turning... One month, well, I guess today, as people are listening to this, but tomorrow, um, one month old. When you said that you looked at your watch. Like, well, I did because I was looking for the date. It's I wasn't calendar. sure if, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it was four weeks, so it's hard to measure like infant age. Do you measure it in weeks? Do you measure it in months? Because she's already four weeks old, but she's not quite one month old yet, and she can, yeah. So we have another, and we have our one month appointment for her pediatrician on Wednesday. Yeah, so really everything just blurs together at this point. Sydney's parents came over for a couple hours this afternoon, and we're like, eh, "Do you have the kids for a couple hours?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." It's like, "All right, we're gonna leave," and we just left. It's like came back and they were still alive, so that was good. We're gonna, 
the real test is going to be so next Monday is our three year anniversary, and they offered to take the kids overnight. And I'm like, do you have any idea what that means? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I think they have fine. some idea. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, okay. Good. We're done. <laughs> Sunday, come on over and we'll see you back on Monday. <laughs> so we're just, I don't even think we're going to go. We're going to find the a cheap Marriott because she has a Marriott credit card that gets free rooms. So we're just going to find a cheap Marriott and just not. Our our, our anniversary is going to be having a full regular night's sleep. Like that's going to be our anniversary present to ourselves. So. <laughs> oh, have it's such a game changer when you're not getting changed. a full night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, yep. That is we're that's what we're looking forward to. It's like all right. So yeah, this is we're good. We're good. I'm awaking. I'm up. I'm awake. I don't drink <laughs> caffeine much anymore because I'm trying to be able to sleep when I can. So occasionally a decaf which is what i'm iced decaf coffee is what i'm drinking right now so that's my that's my thing i had to just drink a real coffee so that i could be awake for this <laughs> yeah i i'm probably going to end up doing that at some point all right so let's talk about games yeah we're talking all about right. my favorite kind of game <laughs> we are this and this is one of the rare times where we're like oh we're that next week that topic's going to be whatever mm-hmm. and it actually becomes that because more often than not i just forget but we are talking about multiplayer solitaire games. And there is not truly a classification. I don't think um, if you go to Board Game Geek or something that this is like a game mechanic or or anything. You know it when you see it. Uh, many games are not 100% pure multiplayer solitaire, but might be teetering on. So, But let's just go to... Our definition, which is, um, Kitty, you're going to do this on the fly because I didn't actually fill out those types of notes. But I'm going to throw it <laughs> on you. Fletcher found out last week that this was even a term. Explain to Fletcher what this means and why it is important. I mean, I feel like it's a term I might have made up and we, no. we've adopted on. No, other people say this. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like I just said this. So, But basically, this kind of game is one that I know you've played, Fletcher, is like Wingspan where you have your own thing going on in front of you and there may be a shared resource or pool, something going on in the center of the table, but you can only affect the decisions in your player area. You cannot affect what is going on with anyone else's play. And basically on your turn, you take some sort of action to affect your board state, but that does not affect anyone else's board state. It may affect the resources available, but not what anyone else has been planning or doing. Yeah. And that's, and Wingspan is a great example. It's like a very common example of something where you could call it multiplayer solitaire. Now, it does do, and a lot of these types of games do some minor, um, I don't want to say player interaction, but enforcing caring about what other players are doing. So in Wingspan, there are certain powers that when somebody does something, you might get a reward for that. Or you're paying attention to the cards that are displayed because I want this card, but oops, Kitty took it. And Kitty may have took it took it specifically because I wanted it. So there could be some kind of interaction in that way, but it's very light. She can't actually hurt anything I've built up. It's just she might be able to affect what I have access to on my turn. Yep. So oftentimes you hear this as a non-positive descriptor to a game. When people refer to, oh, 
It's it, when people refer to this term multiplayer solitaire, it's almost always, oh, it's just multiplayer solitaire. It's it's the it's just. See, I it's think only, that it's pe- just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I think though that people don't always realize when a game is good that it is multiplayer solitaire. I think when it's just multiplayer solitaire, it's not that entertaining. If it's not fun and engaging solitaire. If the game itself isn't fun, what you're doing, then it makes it even worse that you're not engaging as much with the other people. But if it's a fun and engaging solitaire game, then adding more people, it's just a more social, fun game. These often can be really easily turned into solo games. So uh, with a few cards for um, to make it take turns for you or whatever the it automa. is. Like Wingspan There's has an either- automa that can do that for you. Or there there are other ways, too, that these solo modes can work. It could be just you're playing at your own player board and you're trying to beat like a high score number is another way that a lot of them do it. So I, I think that that kind of is a telltale sign that this is multiplayer solitaire is that it has a very simple to pick up one player mode versus two or more players like that it doesn't change the one player mode is the same as multiple players (laughs) pretty much yeah well and and so that gets into a a couple different games i have a bunch of examples that we can talk about but fletcher one that uh you've mentioned a number of times that i would actually consider a type of multiplayer solitaire is sushi go party because even though you are drafting and passing cards Short of hate drafting, i.e. drafting a card simply because you know the person you're going to pass to wants that card, you're not really interacting with anyone else. There's nothing – it's like you're building your own tableau in front of you and you're trying to get the most points when you're comparing at the end. Unless I'm missing other rules on there. There's there's like the one rule where it's – for like some cards where like if you – if there's like an even number of like wasabis or something like that – you get like plus five points, but if it, there's an odd number, you get like minus 10 points or something. So you can kind of like, you can kind of try to do something like that, but it, it's it's a little bit difficult to try to like game that. Right. It, it's mostly just like a scoring thing. And a lot of these games will have something like that where it gives you the illusion that there's more interaction than there really is. Um, I think the one thing that all of them, well, none of them have is any kind of take that mechanic. If there's anything yes. that can affect yeah. some other player board, it is not multiplayer solitaire at that point. It it doesn't matter what else you're doing. If you can affect somebody else, you know, it's like I'm playing literally the, you know, 52 card game of solitaire and someone comes over and says, I'm going to take this card and ha ha ha. It's no longer solitaire. Someone just came over and <laughs> yucked my yum. You just <laughs> ruined your game. Yeah. Which I think is why, Kitty, you really like these kinds of games. Because you can't get messed with. I can't get messed with. And I can't feel like I'm like missing out on something by not wanting... Because there are a lot of games that I can play it in a way where I'm not messing with anyone else. They're not messing with me. It's still fun for all of us. But if you bring in one person, it can totally change the feel of the game. This is games where... Nobody can do that. It's yep. not just that like, oh, we can all play nicely. It's like, you can't hurt me. You can't make me so angry that I become unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael brought up in chat, um, 
games that can play from one to 75. Like these are yeah. that multiplayer solitaire, which brings up an entire class of games, which we'll talk about um, roll and write games. Now, not all of these types of games can play at higher player counts uh, for various reasons. It could be component limitations. You know, Wingspan more or less is component limited. But the one problem with Wingspan is if you played 75 people, you would be waiting two hours between your turns. So these games aren't necessarily high player count friendly all the time, especially if you're waiting to see what other people are doing. But not all, a lot of these games like Roland Rice are almost all multiplayer solitaire because you're you get the same input everyone gets the same input and the results you'll find out at the end very few of them have any kind of player interaction which allows you to scale up to you know a hundred plus with the right zoom account you know here are the the variables (laughs) and there's a ton of youtube um playthroughs that are like play along like here are the inputs everyone play along and see how well you did versus what we did and you can do that in in a roll and write which is you know, kind of a, I don't know if it's a sub genre to this or I, I guess more or less more role and rights tend to have this quality to them. It's not that one belongs to the other. I don't know. Role and rights might be a complete set because I'm trying to think of a role and right that's not multiplayer solitaire. So I'll bring up cartographers, which I talked about this week on Dice Tower Now. Um, it has this mechanic that I hate. Uh, which ter- makes it turns off the multiplayer solitaire of it. So the way that Cartographers plays, if you have not played Cartographers, just go to your iOS or Android uh, device and download the app. It's well worth the the price. It's not super expensive. But the way it works is you're going to get four random scrolling goals, and each and there's four seasons, and each season two of those goals are going to be scored. So that's the general scoring thing. There's 16 goals um four in each category. You're going to flip up a card and it's going to have one or two terrain types or and one or two different patterns that look like tre- Tetris tile patterns. So I could flip up uh, an L, you know, a three by with a one hook, and I could need to draw a city or I need to draw fields or whatever. So I'm going to fill it in on this map. So I basically I'm coloring in these patterns. Well, if a monster card comes up, by the rules, you pass them your sheet to the person on your left or right or one direction, the monster card will actually tell you which way to pass it. And they're going to draw that pattern somewhere on your grid that essentially is going to try to mess up what you're doing the most. And the way the monsters card work is any um, any grid or any square that doesn't have all sides covered, you're going to get minus one per side. So you can really mess someone up and they're like, oh, you're trying to build this elaborate you know, city water thing. And ha ha ha, I just put a bunch of cobalt in the middle of that. It's terrible. It is so, so bad. <laughs> Hate it so much. Fortunately, um, and the app only allows you to play solo, so it, it defaults to this mode. In solo, what happens is the monsters have a, a set pattern that they will follow to figure out where you're going to place them. And if I ever play this game with anyone, I don't even teach the the take that part of it. <laughs> I only teach the solo variant of the monsters. Like, this is what's going to happen when the monsters come out. Because it makes a situation where you're not getting screwed by the person on your right. The game, that's just what happened in the game. And everyone's dealing with the same thing. And it just feels better. And I think that that it's one of the big advantages to these kinds of games where you don't feel like someone else is messing with what you're trying to build up. And and that's kind of a cool feature of these things. You guys are just nodding. 
Yeah, just, well, I was waiting for you to finish your thought. <laughs> I'm, I'm understanding. I don't think I've really ever played any roll and rights. Oh, no. I gotta oh, get you, you guys. Chris hasn't made you play Railroad Inc. That's one of his love, absolute no. favorites. Love Railroad Inc. I've been tortured with that one many times. Not my favorite. <laughs> uh, my two I have favorite- not played a lot of roll and rights. I have a few, but nothing that really, I don't know, was that much fun. Yeah, this is something that we can actually see. John in chat, he agrees with me. Roller Rink's awesome. I can't wait till the Kickstarter comes in because now they have two, <laughs> actually three more colors and like a dozen more expansion dice coming. Uh, I can't wait. But it's one of the reasons why I love it and why some people don't is because you're just rolling dice in the middle of the table and everyone's drawing. And there's a lot of silence in these kinds of games. Like there's not a lot of yeah. needing to talk to each other. You're just kind of doing your thing and you're waiting for everyone else to do their thing so you can get to the next thing that you want to do because you want to build cool things. All right. So or um I think it was Terrence asked in the chat if Azul counts. And I definitely think it does. No. Hundred percent no. Why not? <laughs> well, because and I've played Azul, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen times. But the first couple times you play Azul, and potentially the style, I think it's group dependent. <clears throat> You may just be looking at the board and doing what maximizes what you're doing, which is completely fine. But once you start being competitive in Azul, you're not doing that. You are saying, well, I could pick this one or this one. You know, these little platforms with um, tiles on there. I could pick either one of these to do what I want. But if I pick this one, it's going to put Kitty in a situation where she's going to get screwed on her turn. And because I have much more direct influence over what your choices are, it just feels more like I can really put it to you on purpose. I think it's really right on the line because you as much as you can take someone's resources, you can't touch my board. True, but I can really mess it up, so I force you to mess up your own board. It doesn't feel as much like, and I think that honestly, because what I've been playing it quite a bit with my family. My mom got this for her birthday from me because I'm the best daughter, um, <laughs> and so I've been playing more of it than I had been before. And if you're playing to mess with other people, you're not playing your best and it's you're really walking a very fine line of if you have the choice of doing something that's good for you or doing something that's bad for someone else you want to do what's good for you the moments that you're really looking for in azul is if i can do something for me in a way that makes it worse for someone else that that's the sweet spot where you want to be and if you're just taking pieces to mess with someone you're not gonna win that like it punishes the take that nature of you you can strategize but only so much about what like you have to pay attention to what other people are doing but it's not gonna win you the game to play it like it's take that yeah i would agree with that i think my thing is because the choices are so small you could potentially make you, you understand essentially the problem scape where you say, all right, here are the two things that would be good for me. This one's good for me and worse for you. So that's what I'm going to do. But you're not, it's not necessarily wrong. Cause like Seven Wonders is also what I would consider a solid, like a multiplayer solitaire game. But you still may have situations where you draft or get rid of cards because you know someone else needs that, especially when you're seeing, oh, you have three science symbols of this. I am going to build my wonder, but I'm going to take this science symbol that you'll never see. You'll never know I did it. And I'm going to build my, you know, one of my wonders with this card. So they're not, like I said, it's not 
a hundred percent pure no character interaction, but at the same time, it's super light. And I would say Azul can still fall into that super super light situation. Because I, I really enjoy Azul, so I want to put it in this category because I think. Oh, of course. I'm enjoying it. It must be one of these <laughs> games. <laughs> well, it definitely has limited thing, but I bet you at some point you've said, oh, man, if only you hadn't taken that. Like, you've had that feeling in Azul often because you can't play Azul without having that feeling where someone takes the tile that you want. Yes, but I, I there's been very rare situations where somebody took a tile just because. Of yeah. That. I, I, like, I see... Like, I'm not as mad because I'm like, oh, I know you took that tile because it's good for you, not yeah. because it messed with me. Like, the the messing with the other person is just, like, a side benefit. Yeah. Of- well, and I think it's an interesting because, like I said, there's, that's not a black and white scale, right? Even Wingspan has things where I really needed that bird, but you took it, but I really wanted it for my thing, whether it was on purpose or not. I think the difference is... With Wingspan, you know, drafting one of the birds is just an option you can do. In Azul, the core mechanic is picking a tile. So you can get screwed o- screwed by bad tile picks or someone picking a tile that you wanted far more often. I think, though, it if you're looking at the way Wingspan plays, where it has the scoring goals for each round, if you're playing to get those scoring goals, which is a very good strategy and (laughs) yeah yeah, the point of the game well no there's other ways to make points but you're really not going to win unless you win first place in some of those rounds so you know if everyone is going for birds with a certain kind of nest and they're out there where everyone can grab them it does feel a little bit more like oh you got to that one first than if there are none of that kind of nest or if you know we're all looking for high value whatever it is if they're are birds like that on the table that everyone wants, that feels more like it's almost like a race to see who can get the best stuff though. And I think Azul is kind of the same way where every, if you're playing at least the, you know, base game for, I guess there's like the blank tile sheet or the printed tiles. And we always play the patterned one. So with the pattern one, everyone is going for the same patterns. So, you know, like the first player has the best options and it just like it's a race to see who can get the best resources there are some moves that are just objectively better so well and you see this in i mean ultimately when we say multiplayer solitaire we don't mean solitaire right you're not playing in a vacuum you are definitely playing with other people and you are trying to the scoring goals are a great example of that right we're all trying to maximize you know land nests or, or whatever it might be, right? So, but maybe someone says, you know something? I'm not going to worry about that one. I'm just going to go to the next one because right now my options aren't good for this one. So I'm going to ignore it. But ultimately, at the end of that round, you're going to say, okay, everyone, look at your boards and who did this best? And that mm-hmm. is another key factor to these types of games is at some point, and it could just be at the end of the game or it could be at multiple points during the game, you're going to compare who did best. Also, Someone might trigger the end of the game, um, you know, depending on how many points. The Race for the Galaxy, I'm not super familiar with, and Roll for the Galaxy has been a while, but I just played um, Jump Drive, and that's just kind of, it is very much you're doing your own thing, but as soon as one person gets to a certain score, game's over. And other, a lot of the Race 4 
series of games is is like that, where it's you're all playing your own game until the game ends. Now, what Race Four does though is it adds a certain element of trying to anticipate what your opponents want to do. So there's multiple phases in the game, and not all phases every round are going to be taken unless someone chooses to take that phase. And if someone chooses to take it, then everyone gets to take it. So if I want to produce and and I also want to build, and I think that you also want to build, I may choose produce because I produce isn't good for you. And when you choose build, I'll get to do it anyway. Or I may just say, well, I don't know. I don't want to rely on you choosing build, so I'm going to choose build. So there is some trying to figure out what other people are going to do, which makes it seem more interactive. In the end, though, you're still doing your own thing. Um, Dominion, which I still don't think you guys have played, right? No. Nope. So this is like, uh, well, pretty much any deck builder that where you're trying to get points. But Dominion is a great example of a game that can be very much a solitaire game, but also, depending on the mix of cards, can be very much a take-that style game. So it really depends on the card mix. But generic Dominion, like base Dominion, there were only two cards that would actually have you affecting other players. And if those two cards weren't in the mix, then you were just playing your own game. And at some point, a pile was going to run out. And well, I think it's whatever the end condition was, was depending on which piles ran out, run out. But and that would be the end of the game. And everyone sees, all right, how well did you do? I loved it because you could play it so fast. It didn't matter what anyone else did. You took your turn, you discarded your cards, you drew up to five more, you knew your turn. As soon as it was your turn, you played it out, and you could play a game of Dominion in like 10 minutes with four people, because no one had to worry about what anyone else was doing. It was quintessential, like, multiplayer solitaire, and it was so much fun. I thought the game actually started lacking a lot of things for me when it started adding a lot more interactive elements, because it just started to bog things down. Um but yeah, I mean, it's, well, again, you guys haven't played it, so I can't speak to it too much. <laughs> what about Splendor? Well, speaking? Oh, okay. <laughs> Splendor. I haven't played Splendor in forever. I just I remember mean, I liked it. <laughs> if, if we're going with the definition of, like, multiplayer solitaire is kind of kind of a game where you have a shared pool of resources and, you know, you're trying to go for the most points or something like that, then, like, Splendor definitely meets that kind of definition. So this is one, really it's kind of that. like, it's yeah. kind of like um, Century Spice Road, though, where you have, like, basically there's a line of cards that have, when you meet the conditions, you can buy it to get points, basically, right? right. And they will okay. help you, they will help you buy other cards later. So the more cards you have, the more expensive cards you can buy later. So I think both this and Century Spice Road, there are, it's they don't feel as much like multiplayer solitaire to me, but it, I still think they kind of are. But th- it's, I don't know why it is that like, it, it's almost like a, the difference between like input or output randomness we were talking about before, where this is like a different side of where the interact. So like if, if I'm trying to gain resources to build my thing in front of me, that to me feels more like multiplayer solitaire than something where I'm trying to build my resources to buy something. Well, I think does that make sense? Yeah. I think it comes down to the drafting thing though, right? If the more the draft, because Splendor is a draft, um, as Sentry is a draft, like essentially there are cards that are out there that you are going to want to take into your hand. Um, 
in Splendor, that never really stops. You're constantly drafting cards. You just have to pay for what you're drafting. In Sentry, it eventually, it stops pretty soon. Uh, once people get their engines into their hand, they're going to just keep running that engine and try to be as efficient as possible. At that point, it really does become relatively um, solitaire, except for you might be competing for the same goals. But I think with Splendor, the reason why you don't get that feeling is because you're always looking at the shared pool and what someone else does may affect what you can do, especially in higher player counts, where if there's four people and three people are going to go before you get around, those cards that are on the table that you want at the end of your turn are probably not going to be there at the start of your turn. So it doesn't feel like you're playing your own game. It feels like you're playing against other people and, oh man, Fletcher, you screwed me over when you bought this, you know, that red gem that I really, really wanted. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I I think, again, there's no, like, take that mechanic, not really, unless you're really paying attention to, like, right. what other people are doing. But in most of the time, like, these games with a take that mechanic, you might, like, even though there's no take that mechanic built in, it's like, do I want to, like, hurt this person more than I want to help myself? And usually the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> unless they're about yeah, to win. The, well... <sighs> Even then, and this this is a certain personality type, I think it's really hard, you know, if they're about to win, unless you can stop them and win for yourself, this is like the kingmaker scenario. We've talked about this so many times before. I think we did a whole episode on this. But, you know, I, I always just stick with doing what's best for me so that nobody can accuse me then of, I don't know. Well. Well, also, if you're playing like, with other oh, people... Oh, you just wanted like, to mess with me. If you're playing with other people, you can also just use the logic of, like, well, like, well, maybe, you know, so-and-so will take care of it. Or, like, you know, if you can see that this person is going to win in, like, three turns and... Yeah, I I guess it, I was just like thinking about if they're going to learn problem. in, like, one turn. Yeah. yeah. If they're well, one turn away from winning, I can stop them... But that just means somebody else is going to win before I get another turn. So you guys are like, convincing yeah. me that always that feels bad. You guys are convincing me that Splendor is not a multiplayer solitaire game because just being able to ask and have these questions be actionable takes it out of the realm. In Splendor, it is entirely possible to keep someone from winning because you see the card that they need and take <sighs> that card for whatever reason or convince someone else to take that card. I think that there is more player interaction there than meets the eyes because in a, in a true, what I would determine or consider a multiplayer solitaire, you can't affect other players that way. Like you can't keep someone from winning by continually anyway, by making a certain move and just denying them the ability to do what they want to do. Yeah. I think that in a lot of multiplayer solitaire games, like there's usually some sort of triggering event that leads to like end of game scoring. And these games instead, it's usually just like get so many points and then that's the end. Yeah. And that feels a little different to me. So something like Azul, I still think this falls into multiplayer solitaire and you can maybe stop someone from meeting the end goal condition when they have the most points. But you can't guarantee that you'll be able to do that depending on how the tiles are set up. And also, you can't take away any of their points that they already have. You can't stop them from doing well. You can only maybe delay everyone from having to score their, their tiles. So, And that is an interesting thing that you just said. You can't take away their points. So Splendor just came out with a Marvel version 
So it's Marvel Splendor. Looks really cool. It's Marvel superheroes and supervillains. The, thematically, it still has no theme whatsoever. whatsoever. Um, and they do some <laughs> minor changes to the game mechanics. Well, the end game, mostly. Um, one is, in order to win the game, you must have one character of every color. Where Splendor, you don't need that. You're just trying to get to a certain goal. Two, you have to have at least one level three card, which again, in Splendor, you don't need to necessarily do that. Three, though, is there is a card, the Avengers, I think it's the Avengers mansion or castle or something about the Avengers that can float. And it's worth two the points. The Avengers castle. <laughs> the Avengers castle. I think it's well, the Avengers mansion or whatever. Headquarters. The Avengers chateau. Yeah. <laughs> the veranda. Um, but it can change possession. So different cards have Avenger symbols on them. So if you ever have more Avenger symbols than someone else, kind of like the largest army in Catan, then you take those two points from them, which creates an interaction that was never there in the original Splendor. There was never a way of getting points back from someone in the original Splendor. And so far of the reviews I've seen is like, if you have Splendor, there's no reason to get Marvel Splendor. If you don't have Splendor, Splendor is the better game. But if you like Marvel, go ahead and get Marvel Splendor. And the, I mean, I've essentially summarized all of the rule changes, but people are like, nah, Splendor's still better. This, the rules that add more interaction and force a more balanced play style just aren't as interesting as letting people just do what they want to do without a, without all that extra interaction between players. So I just, I don't know. I think it's interesting in a world where we, kind of look down on these multiplayer solitaire games where when a game tried to get more interactive, like, no, this game's not as good. I think that, you know, people tend to say this about games they think are boring and it doesn't just apply to that kind of game that, yeah, there are both good and bad multiplayer solitaire games. I don't know that I've read a review of Wingspan anywhere that mentions multiplayer solitaire. No, nope. but you it's only say definitely it mean- what it is. Yeah, you only say <laughs> it if you want to say something negative about it, especially in reviews. People only say it. It's like a nice way to say this game is really boring. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, there's other ways that you hear it. It's is like there's no take that in this game. Is one of is like kind of That's a the way positive of way to That's say it. That's a positive it. way there's, to say it. Yep. Like you have to cuz I like this kind of game. I look for this kind of game because it it really is more my playstyle. I really enjoy when no one can mess with what I'm doing. I can't get mad at anyone. And, you know, I grew up playing this kind of game not knowing that like this was a thing and trying to figure out like parse the like language of reviews to figure out is this going to be one of these kinds of games i wish that somebody would just say like oh this is multiplayer solitaire in a nice way <laughs> we should we should dub the term independent engine builder as a positive way of saying <laughs> this <laughs> you're not always necessarily building an engine though there's like different ways to do because like a lot of them also are very puzzly yeah something like well, azul or patchwork um, and barren park um so yes i, did a, a search I love for, patchwork yeah for top um or uh multiplayer solitaire games and there was a bunch that i would not consider multiplayer solitaire at all above and below was on the list and it made me think it's like is that really that independent and when i look at it it sort of is you have your own tableau you're building up your own things there's not a whole lot of player interaction there so but patchwork and barren park um 
so patchwork most people would know it's you're basically making a quilt so you're you're drafting tetris pieces to put on your quilt and how you draft is really just kind of you know as your buttons are flying around a circle baron park is the same thing where you have a board everyone has the same starting board and you're drafting pieces to fill into your board but ultimately you're you're pulling from a common pool but you're doing your own thing afterwards and there's no way to affect what happened after the fact so it's not i mean there there is some you know strategy i'd say it falls in the same way as azul because in Patchwork, at least I haven't played Baron Park in like I don't forever because since the one time we played it four years ago. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Patchwork is um, easy enough. I almost always play games two players. I either play with Spencer or my mom, so it's very rare. I mean, my brother's living with her now, so now we have one more player. (laughs) But usually we just play Patchwork. (laughs) But you are limited to the three pieces in front of your button, and you have to pay to. Like you have to buy the pieces. So you you have so many choices and you can choose to take the piece knowing that, oh, I see my opponent has this many buttons. And if I take this one, they won't be able to buy anything. They'll have to skip ahead, whatever it is. There, there are some ways to kind of game how you're picking the resource, just like it is with Azul, where you you can affect the other player just by taking the resource the right way. Yeah. Well, Miles says that he's been able to stop people from completing their board by drafting pieces that he knows that is needed. And again, we go back into drafting games and how there is definitely player interaction in these drafter game drafting games. It is just it's passive aggressive player interaction <laughs> as opposed to direct player interaction. In terms of just aggressive player interaction. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder if these games are also I, this might be another like key word that I you know have to start looking for in reviews is like they're more of the games that kind of appeal to women versus men they're less aggressive games in general that you know this is the Animal Crossing or Sims of the board game world this <laughs> well, might Rado, fall into <laughs> yeah Rado has coined the term um, Care Bear uh, Care Bear players where they don't <laughs> want to a, any game that directly impacts what the other person is trying to do is not a game a Care Bear player would want to play. So area control games, you know, where that tug of war, any kind of tug and war back and forth type of things are, because he specifically, um, if you don't know Rado, he has, he does basically zillions of Kickstarter run-throughs. You actually watch (laughs) him play a game. But he is a self-proclaimed introvert that only really plays games with his wife. So he plays two-player games, and they don't like being competitive. Um, personally, I think his wife is far more competitive than he is. He likes exploring systems. She likes winning, and that's why she wins most of the time. But <laughs> they they both get a feeling of, I don't know, his term kind of like ickiness when their best move is by hurting the opponent. So those are, you can directly say that they don't like take that games. But at the same time, if something's Care Bear friendly, then you can say, okay, this doesn't have this aspect of being able to mess with the other player, mess with other players. And that's a big deal for them. And he looks for games that are in this realm. I think 
I am not a Care Bear, I am worried that I might be the Incredible Hulk because I can't <laughs> be angry. It, it's like, I only want to play the games that won't make me angry because you won't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. Yes. <laughs> I, I have to, you know... No, I'm not my secret is I'm always angry. I have to manage. I'm the Edward <laughs> Norton Hulk. I'm not the Mark Ruffalo Hulk. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you mentioned Euro games earlier too. Um, and I've only played Castles of Burgundy the one time with you, but that kind of <laughs> um, struck me as pretty much just doing my own thing. I have my own board doing my own thing. There's not a lot of interaction. A lot of Euro games, I think fall into this where if there's not, it, it falls into that drafting thing again, where depending on how much you can affect the other players, it can feel much more like you're just playing your own game and everyone's kind of in the same sandbox, but everyone has their own truck. I just made that up on the fly. I like that metaphor, though. <laughs> so I want to talk about a card game that I grew up yeah. playing, which is it is almost actually multiplayer solitaire. <laughs> it is a great game. It is called Racing Demon, or um, I've also heard it called Nerds. And this is a game where everyone has their own deck of cards. So you need multiple decks of cards to play this game. And you have a pile of 13 cards, and then everyone has four face-up cards in front of them. And then you play solitaire, like red on black, numbers going down solitaire from those four cards. And... You're trying to get rid of your pile of 13 cards. So you have one face up there and you're trying to play it out into your cards or everyone's aces go in the middle and everyone can play off each other's aces. So this is a race to get through your cards. And we used to play this all the time. And it is a really, really fun game. And Spencer hates it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it because it's a real time solitaire. Yeah. And it's definitely it's a race. It's fast. It's competitive. But you're really just you're doing your own thing most of the time. Do you take turns or is it just totally? No, no it's real time. It's real time. Real time. So everyone deals out their 13 cards in a pile. You put four cards face up. You have the one card on top of your pile you can see and then everyone says ready set go and you just start playing. And the first person to get to their 13 pile card pile yells out. Anyone who has cards left in their 13-card pile, those are negative points. And any card you played into the center on an ace is positive points. So my mom really loved playing this with us because it was really easy to scale for kids. She would put 15 cards in her pile, and then we would all get 10 or 8 for, like, my younger brother. So she could make it more fair that, you know, we could keep up with her because she's very, you know, she's been playing solitaire for forever. Yeah, I mean, this is a literal... (laughs) It's a literal real-time multiplayer solitaire. And, it, and you it's don't, great and it's fun. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have time to pay attention to what anyone else is doing. You're just trying to do your own thing faster than anyone else. Now, you could play this game yourself. You could play it solo. It's called solitaire. Um, <laughs> there's a slight <laughs> variation with with trying to get through the pile. But, uh, but yeah, this is a pretty good example of literal multiplayer solitaire. There's also a reason why no one's ever heard of it, though. Actually, I'm kind of curious. I have met many. I like, there are, I think, several other families out there who, like, this is their game. (laughs) And everyone I've ever played with in person, aside from you and Spencer, have really enjoyed playing it. And a lot of people say, like, I'm not going to do this again, but this was fun. It's fun to play, it's fun to learn. 
You just everyone pick, knows how solitaire works. You just well, pick you next to the question about this game. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Because uh-huh. when you have so you need multiple decks of cards. Uh-huh. Yes. And everyone has their own deck of cards with their own card back, so you know whose cards go to where. Yeah, you have to have different card backs. Right. So then when you say that each person has their own set of eight cards, what do you mean by that? So you have your deck of cards, you have a thirteen pile, and then you have like four cards next to it right the 13 pile is playing. it's face up right and yeah you can play the top card of that pile anytime it has a valid play you can take the top card of the pile and put it on a valid play and once all those cards are played out you are considered done you so yell out and that yeah. ends the game yeah so it's it's like solitaire in that you know solitaire you're typically drawing three and you can play the top card of the one you just drew this one you are still doing that but there's also a separate card always available that you can play whenever that it becomes that valid. you want to move through those cards ah okay yeah. i think i get it it's so, really it, easy to pick up when you are there and i can like just so like this is how you do it and you can like watch someone for yeah. two seconds and be like oh yeah like solitaire except you're trying to get rid of these ones so but kitty so you pick this week's episode you also just pick next week's episode because this is a topic oh. um real-time games Another topic that people <laughs> like to use in a very derogatory way. Um, well, not really derogatory. You don't typically use real time as a derogatory term. Unlike like multiplayer <laughs> solitaire, almost always people are using it in a negative way. Real time games, though, tend to give people this knee jerk reaction of, oh, I'm going to hate it, which is entirely possible. <laughs> um, but I think that that should definitely that's that's going to be our topic next week. And we talk we can talk more on this. Um yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes <laughs> to instructions on how to play this game. So between now and then, if you want to see this, there's other games, though. But um, Miles just asked if Phase 10 is in the same vein of what you're describing. Honestly, I cannot say that I've ever played Phase 10. I've I heard so many. Ba- it's it's just a whole bunch of dice. Um, But I've only heard bad things about it. Or am I thinking I'm thinking the wrong thing? All right. Miles, no. is like, Miles is like, no, 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 it's you're thinking the wrong game. thing. What am I yeah. thinking? Oh, I'm thinking Tenzies. Tenzies <laughs> is the one with all the dice. Oh, Tenzies, yes, is the dice. Uh, yes. Phase ten, no, it's like um, it's one of those ones. It's always next to Uno, and I think I was given it as a gift, and no one would ever play it with me, and so I have like an irrational hatred of it. <laughs> <laughs> is it real time? No, I think it's like racing demons, sort of. Interesting. All right, yeah, Phase ten. It's is a, a variant of Rummy. Is what I'm seeing. Interesting. So I'm going to say, no, it's nothing like phase 10. <laughs> um, because phase 10 is is still hand-based. Yeah, with, with Racing Demons, you can actually, if you were watching, you could see who was winning. And my mom, who is just the worst, if she doesn't have a move, because you know how you get stuck in solitaire sometimes? Right. In Racing Demons, you can have that happen somebody else is always going to do something where you can move one of your cards because the aces are always changing. What's mm-hmm. out in the middle that you can play onto is always evolving. So when she doesn't have a move, she starts playing everyone else's cards and like sitting over everyone's shoulder being like, put that on your queen. Put the jack on your queen. <laughs> and it's like, stop it. Get out of my space. And like, you have to chew her away. She's just the worst. Well, I think just to bring it back to our main topic, that is one way that you can make multiplayer solitaire games <laughs> a little bit more interactive. And that's by quarterbacking, right? By saying, oh, you should do this. Or your best move would be that. Or 
it, it becomes... That's a nice way to say uh, backseat driving. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's, I, uh, yeah, that's, I can, I can live with that. I like that. <laughs> Michael just gave me the link to NERTS, which is the bicycle link. So this will be in the show notes. This will tell you how to play this game. And this will be everyone's homework for next week. Wait, this says players two, three, or four, but I think you can play more. You guys play it more than four players sometimes, <laughs> don't you? We have played with a lot of people. Um, I don't know if that's technically in the rules, but we have played it with like 12 people. <laughs> yeah. Easy. And it becomes mind numbing. Well, and that's the thing. Again, back to the whole solitary You're thing. basically just you- playing with the people around you, even though the whole table is there. You're yeah. playing with like the aces you can reach. Yeah, there's and only one. We have thing. had situations though where somebody's like diving across the table. Yeah, like there's slapping only one hands thing. out of the way. <laughs> right. There's only one thing you're paying attention to that makes it a multiplayer game, and that's that ace row. Everything else though, you really just can't focus on anything else. Everyone's playing pretty quickly. Where if you start focusing on someone else, you're not doing what you need to do to play the game. Um, but again, we're going to talk about this next week. Because I want to get to why, back to multiplayer solitaire, why don't people like it? Do people not like it? <laughs> like I say, it sounds it's like we like it. I like it. We, I think it's it. used as a negative term. It, it's like a code word almost. It, it's people use it to mean not enough player interaction to be entertaining. That, like, they're, That's a nice way of they're, saying that. that it's not necessarily a bad thing. But there are many bad games that are like this. And so it is easy to paint them all with the same brush of negativity. I think that people who are highly competitive don't like these kinds of games because you don't have that, I don't want to say cutthroat, but I'm going to say cutthroat um, feeling while playing the game. It's like, why am I playing a multiplayer game when I'm really just focused on my own thing and I'm not interacting with anyone else at the table? And... That aspect of the game can become it, it, it's, it becomes boring and dull to someone who's like really looking for a lot of player interaction. You're not going from a you know a war game where you have li- unlimited ways of messing with your opponent to a wingspan where there's really no way to interact with anyone else. Now, John in chat says that he personally thinks these games are boring, but he also loves wingspan. And I'm going to chalk that one up to wingspan's a great game. Also, yeah. <laughs> qualities of particular games. Now, like we'll talk about real time next week. Multiplayer solitaire this time. Um, take that games. Um, you know, I do not like Munchkin, but I don't mind certain take that games, right? But Munchkin is nothing but take that. Certain qualities of games, people can say, I just don't like these kinds of games, except for this one or except for that one. <laughs> and I think that says something about it's not necessarily the mechanic or the mechanism, or the how the game functions so much as who you're playing it with and whether or not the game is actually enjoyable outside of those mechanisms. And Wingspan's enjoyable because there's there's a lot going for Wingspan that just makes it a very thematic, entertaining experience, even if you're not feeling like you're killing each other's birds, which I think that's an expansion coming up. Um, <laughs> no. I'm just just say the hunting rifle expansion is it's out there. Um what extinction? Maybe that's a, I Stonemeyer can use these. I I'm I'm right here. I'm available for consulting. But 
yeah, I think that, I don't know. I For me, when I hear it's just a multiplayer solitaire game, when someone says it that way, I do balk. I, I do like, eh, okay, fine. Maybe I'm not that interested. And then I play them and I'm like, oh, wait, I actually do like this. We talked last week on too much randomness, right? In games mm-hmm. and how input versus output and that kind of things. So I'm like, well, I don't think I like Roll to Resolve, except for all these games where I do. And is it in spite of the mechanic or is it because of it? I don't think it's because of, but... Maybe sometimes it is like, you know, Cthulhu Death May Die. It really is because of the role to resolve, because I don't know what's going to happen. I, I love that aspect about that game. But at the same time, if you tell me it's a role to resolve or a role to move game, you know, I'm going to be like, eh, I don't know. I think it's really hard to like, like there are standouts in every category and that you can't judge a category by its standout just as much as you can't say, I always like this kind of game. You know, there there's always the nuance that is going to change your mind one way or the other when it comes to a particular game. Yeah. A game and, is a collection. And that's why we just have to play more games. Yeah. A game is co- a collection of its pieces. And if you don't like multiplayer solitaire, and you know you don't, you don't like that non-interactive games, which is a nicer way of saying that, well, that doesn't mean <laughs> you're not going to like any non-interactive game. It just means, in general, your tastes probably aren't there, so you're probably not going to gravitate to them. But maybe Wingspan is your thing, you know? And a lot of people, like, we keep using Wingspan as an example because I think most people have played it or at least know of it. And that's not everyone's cup of tea either. Even if you do like, you know, these non-interactive games, it's like, eh, yeah, but I'm just, the bird theme really doesn't speak to me. Okay, that's fine too. Sometimes it's the theme that is drawing you in or not. Um... I don't know. I just I want I don't want multiplayer solitaire to be it just feels such like such a negative. I don't want term. it to be just it I don't want to I don't want to hear people say it's just multiplayer solitaire. Yeah. It's not just multiplayer solitaire. It's yay, multiplayer solitaire. <laughs> like, I want to change the perception. I love it. I also realized while we were talking about this, you know, we were making fun of you a little bit last week for your I hate rolled resolves, except all these good rolled resolves. And I'm talking here about I dislike or I really love multiplayer solitaire, but I also really love trick taking games, which might be like some of the most player interactive games that there are. So it's like everyone has their own, you know, contradictions and what they like. (laughs) We're all shades of gray. (laughs) That's what it comes down to. All right, Fletcher, you have any thoughts? Are you are you is are you schooled enough on this topic now? I yeah, I feel like <laughs> I uh, graduated. <laughs> How many So I know you have Sushi Go. Of the other games you have, any of them else any of them also fall into this category, you think? Um, well, I mean, I do have Splendor and let me think. I don't think so. I think these mm-hmm are very good for gateway games. When you're bringing new players into the hobby, using a game like this is a nice way of bringing someone in because they can do their own thing and not get messed with. And that's a more enjoyable experience than, okay, so I just did all of this and then you did this thing and destroyed everything I was doing and why is this fun? (laughs) Yeah. So losing by a lot of points doesn't feel as bad as someone coming over and kicking down your sandcastle. Just to stick with the sandbox metaphor. Yeah. I don't have the biggest sandcastle, but at least you didn't kick it over. All right. Next week, we will talk about, and this is why I wrote this down, real-time games and why they're horrible. 
or not. (laughs) (laughs) I'll, uh, yeah, that should be a fun one because I, these things, these podcasts are a way for me to think about what I actually like and don't like. And I can't think of any real time game I've kept, but I want to know why that is. So we'll figure that out. All right. Are you guys ready for the new outro, which won't be all that different? Um, Fletcher, I did some major formatting to the credits list. Oh, Captain Sonar. John just mentioned Captain Sonar for a real-time game, and he is right. I love Captain Sonar. Darn it. All right, we'll talk about that next week. John, you have to remind me <laughs> next week. Captain Sonar. All right. Um, so, yeah. So, ready? And, uh, yeah, Kitty, take it away. Tabletop Game Tech is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook, Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find the link for that in our show notes as well. Comments or questions, email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website at tabletopgametalk.com and clicking the support us link. And there's a link in the show notes as well. Finally, a huge thank you to our current patrons, Adam Harrison, Miles Thunder from Down Under Clark, <laughs> The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Miltner, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Ann Reynolds, Christopher Letgo, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Joe Ragstad, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Christopher Comstock, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Rodney, Cindy Lum, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Baz Lintham, Eric Salander, Glenn Cotter, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, and Rodney Ronald Roy. And thank you to everyone who has ever been a patron. It really does mean a ton to us. Um, Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So yeah, I finally went back and updated all of our our patron names and and stuff. And I'm like, I should do this more often. (laughs) I'm getting there. Maybe we can do it in real time next week. (laughs)